Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. We're talking about sending revival, a major revival to America. Amen. This has to be met. This if has to be met before God will do anything. It's clear that he is issuing a conditional promise To the born-again Christians, do these things and I will act. God has an expectation of specific things before, these things need to happen before he will bring revival. These promises are only for those who place their complete trust, which is called what? Faith in God. God is speaking here in 2 Chronicles 7.14. God is speaking directly to the believers. Nobody else. God's not talking to 330 million Americans. He's talking mainly to the, what was it, 61 million true Christians in America. He's talking only to the believers. In America or whatever nation you are in. You might be living in Pakistan and you are only representing 5% of your population. He is only talking to you, the 5%. He's not talking to the 95% Muslims that have, you know, once they get born again, then revive. No! If you are only 5% of the population of your country, God's talking to you if you're a believer. This is not an American gospel. Jesus was not an American to the shock of many Americans. Jesus was not a United States citizen to the shock of many Americans. Amen. Jesus was not white with blue eyes and Blondish brown hair. He looks more, and I'm, I'm not even going to get into that. He. <sighs> okay, Lord. Jesus was chuckling right there. He said, Go ahead and tell him. I said, All right. He had an olive gold complexion. If you. 
took someone from the nation of India. That is about the complexion of Jesus. He didn't have this European features to him. Amen. Where did that come from? That came from the Catholic Church in Rome. Jesus was not white. Let's just get that out of your system right now. I'll probably get some hate mail on that one, but truth is truth. Amen. If you can't handle it, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? Amen. Anyway, we must understand that revival in 2 Chronicles 7.14, this is an exclusive deal that God offers only to his people. We often forget that the work of revival always begins with God's people first. Why? Why, Brother Bob? Why is that? Well, God must first renew his people before the real work of winning the world can take place. You see, the work of revival must begin with God's own people, but is never meant to stop with God's own people. And that is the problem you often see in churches today. They'll hold, like we said, a week-long meeting, a week-long revival or something like that. But usually it's only their church folk coming out. They do not convince their neighbors to come to church. They don't drag people off the street or co-workers. I mean, after all, we want to be pushy and labeled as a wacko or something. Revival, in order for revival to be long-lasting and to truly make an impact on our nation and the world, we as Christians must reach outside the four walls of the church. We cannot just keep inside our own little clique and excluding everybody else. Oh God, bless our four and no more. The church... What is a term that's used to describe a church building? Often it's called a sanctuary. And that has such a spiritual term to it. Let us go into the sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? You know, we have bird sanctuaries and wildlife sanctuaries. What is a sanctuary? It's a place where these specific birds are kept safe or specific animals are kept safe. So a sanctuary of a church is a place where the people of God can go and feel safe. It is not the place for soul winning and witnessing and all that. It is a place where we can come and you should be 
entering a spirit of revival every Sunday because you're so burned out witnessing the people during the week. Now on Sunday you come back to get revived so Monday morning you can go right back to it. That's the purpose for the church. You know, the first Christians had to hide out in caves and things like that. Met in private homes and it was all secret. Because as they met together privately like that, secretly, they felt safe. Because they were amongst their own brethren. If they would have just kept the gospel to themselves, it would have died out when the last one died. But no, the church was growing rapidly because the disciples and the born-again believers wouldn't stop talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Why do we think we're different and the requirements for revival are different than what was taking place back then? Back in 2 Chronicles 7.14 again, it says, If my people, we, we harped on that, who are called by my name, God calls us out from among the world. Being a Christian means that we are meant to stand apart, stand separate from the rest of the world. The rest of the world can see you are a Christian. The rest of the world will look and see how God blesses you and takes care of you and provides for you. But if you want to look like the rest of the world, expect to receive the rest of the world's punishment. All this come as you are, church. Yeah, that's okay. The idea, the concept behind it is the same. But let me ask you this. If you received an invite to have dinner with the President of the United States in the White House, would you come wearing shorts, flip-flops, and some disgusting t-shirt? Or would you dress nice? Well, I mean, Brother Bob, after all, you're going to the White House. Hello! We're going to the very throne of the Most High God! The concept behind Come As You Are was invented by this purpose-driven church crowd to appeal to those on the outside. Well, come to church. Well, I don't have nothing to wear. Just wear what you want. It doesn't matter. We're a cool church, man. We're hip, yeah. We got lattes and donuts and things like that and you know, so they're trying to get people in. But you should not leave in the same condition that you came in. If you are a come-as-you-are church and you have people dressing like they're going to a picnic every single Sunday, you got to question whether or not they're really saved. I mean that I'm speaking that in love, but I know I'll step on some toes, but get over it. I have a desire to be my best in God's presence. My best is like filthy rags. I understand that, but that doesn't mean I have to wear filthy rags to church. Amen. We must live differently, dress differently, talk differently 
than the world because we value different things. We value an eternal promise and we value a different lifestyle. That's where the Catholics fall short because they believe they can go and say their confession, receive repentance or penance or whatever they call that stuff, and they're good for another week. They'll go right back to cussing and drinking and all the other things. We are called, folks, to be a holy priesthood where every believer carries the responsibility for ministry. Every believer, not just the pastor or the elders board or whatever. We're called to be witnesses for Christ in this world and to share his truth and boldly seek and use his power to spread the gospel. We are to be known by a new name. Whenever a person comes to Christ, they are a new creation. Glory to God. And are given the opportunity from that moment on to live a transformed eternal life. When we come to Christ, we need to become associated with his name. We become a Christian, little Christ. Every single person who claims to know Jesus either lifts his name up or tears it down in the eyes of the world. Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Oh, Lord, time's just flying by. Next, we must look to God to be revived. He says, if my people will humble themselves. Why does God desire for his people to humble themselves? The word humble means to be in submission, to live in a state of constant surrender. When we humble ourselves, we are literally saying to God, you, God, are in control of my life. To be humble means to be brought low. Remember that simple prayer that even Roberts prayed? Bend me, O Lord. When we humble ourselves before God, we're allowing him to bend us to his will. What happens when God bends us? I don't have time to turn to each of these scriptures, but you need to write them down and remember them when you do your Bible study. Bending. Number one, bending opens us to his guidance. That's Psalms 25, verse 9. Bending allows us to know the grace of God. Proverbs 3, verse 34. Bending gives us a gentle heart. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Bending leads us to true greatness. Matthew 23, 12. Bending gives us spiritual garments. 1 Peter 5, 5. And bending gives way to eternal glory. Philippians 2, verse 8. Once we allow God to bend us, we cannot remain the same. It's impossible to remain the same. He says, if my people will humble themselves and pray. One of the key principles of revival is a concerted effort to pray. When we pray, we are bringing our lives to intersect with God in the moment that we meet God. And when we meet God in prayer, something amazing happens. He pours himself into our lives. We begin speaking his words, and his words begin to come to pass. That's why prayer is so absolutely essential to experiencing revival. Amen?
Prayer is the foundation of a growing relationship with God. And without prayer, that relationship will never grow. We we need to go deeper with God if we ever want to experience true revival in our personal life. Each and every day, we make a decision to either build up that relationship with God or to settle for the status quo of where we are now in our relationship with God. You see, the principle of prayer is supposed to flow out of the New Testament church. I mean, in Acts 1.14, you see, prayer needs to be a continuous aspect of the church. Prayer was a major part of the life of the early church. Acts 2.42 shows us that. Prayer is vital to seeing God display his power and greatness. That's in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. I would venture to say that, at least in America, the church is lacking in all of those areas. Amen. Does that offend you? Good. Because I meant it to. I'm not here to try to tickle your ears and make you feel good. Especially if you're a preacher listening to me. When's the last time you canceled your sermon series... When's the last time you canceled the praise and worship and just spent two hours in a prayer service? When is the last time you called for a week of special prayer meetings? When's the last time that you actually have someone come forward during the service because they needed prayer? When's the last time you prayed for someone's healing and they received it instantly, in church, publicly? If you cannot answer any of those questions, perhaps you, pastor, you, preacher, need to spend some quality time before the Lord in prayer yourself. Amen. Go ahead, write me your letters. I don't care. That's from the Holy Spirit. Amen. You see, revival is nothing more than God stepping into his relationship with you and filling you with his presence and his power in a fresh way that that you haven't experienced before. If you are not developing that kind of relationship with God, you will never experience personal revival. Amen. Back to 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. The Hebrew word for seek means to intend to find or to deeply desire. In essence, to seek something from God means to first have the deep desire to see it happen and then actively and persistently pursue it. One of the major reasons why churches in America never see a movement of God is because they don't want it. Not bad enough. There is a personal price that has to be paid in finding revival. It's opening yourself to the leading of the Holy Spirit and then obeying and doing what the Holy Spirit says. Like I said, it may not mean preaching a sermon for a few weeks. Or even turning it over to another ministry church. Or turning it over to a youth pastor. 
Just listen to God. Do what he says. He'll tell you what to do to bring revival to your church. And it may mean, Pastor, that you need to get out of the pulpit for a brief period of time. In 1904, those young people from even Roberts' home church wanted to see revival so badly, they stayed at the church and prayed until 2 a.m. We struggle to gather a handful of people to pray for an hour once a month. If that. Most people will become restless in their seats if the preacher goes 10 minutes over the usual length of time that he goes. The church today does not see God moving. It's because we've stopped seeking him. God said these words to Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Amen. We will only truly find God and his reviving power when we really and truly desire that which only he can give us. Once that desire is there, then we have to pursue it with everything we are. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Oh, amen. This is going to make some people mad today. When even Robert spoke to those young people, his first challenge to them was to confess any known sin they had to God. Revival will never happen in your life until you let go of your past sin. Sin is nothing more than pure bondage, and it holds you in place like a chain wrapped around your body. Why is it that God desires confession? Why? I'm not talking about Catholic confession. I'm talking about between you and God. Confession is a realization of wrongdoing. That's all. Most children get themselves into trouble from time to time. When your kids get themselves into trouble and have to be punished, how many of you ask them if they know what they did was wrong? I want you to realize something. Is God all-knowing? Yes, He is. So what does that mean when you confess your sins to Him? When you confess your sins is not when God found out about them. It's when you get rid of them. Amen? Hallelujah. We are God's children. And confession is merely telling God that it is what you've done you know is wrong. When we confess that, we are admitting the fact we have done wrong and we know it's wrong. And confession will renew your relationship with God. You see, God cannot work through sinful living. It's impossible. God can only move in our lives when the path has been cleared out of the way. When we confess our sins to God, that's a type of clearing of the path that now allows God to move because when we confess, He's faithful to forgive us and cleanse our lives. Confession also seeks God's assistance. When we confess our sin to God, and it's allowing Him to take the chains that bind us off our back and set us free, God never forces us to do anything we don't want to do. But when we confess, we are asking for His help, and He sends us help. 
What was it that made that Welsh revival so powerful and so successful for the kingdom of Christ? It had nothing to do with even Robert's eloquence and his ability to deliver powerful sermons. It had nothing to do with the length or the frequency of his prayers. Even though all that may have been important, I believe that revival took place because even Roberts prayed for God to bend him, to use him. This prayer was the product of a deep hunger for more of God and more of what only God could do. It was a submission to the complete purpose and plan of God Almighty. And that power came from reckless abandoning of self and an absolute embracing of what God had the desire to do. Amen? This morning, I firmly believe that God has the desire to bring revival to the American church again. The only question that really remains is, do you have the desire to be revived? If you want to experience personal revival today, Today is the day you need to seek God. If you want to see a corporate revival in your church, today is the day you need to seek the Holy Spirit. If you want your community and your city to see an outpouring of mighty power, today is the day you need to seek Jesus. If God is tugging at your heart right now, then it is time for you to come forward and seek his power from on high. Amen? He will, he will, I emphasize, he will forgive you of all your sins. Every single one. Let me ask you this as we get ready to close. The Old Testament prophets... Had Jesus died on the cross yet? Nope. So, did Jesus dying on the cross forgive them of all their sins? Yes. So they had faith that God, through the Messiah, would forgive all their sins past. And when he died on the cross, he forgave the Roman soldiers, said forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. So he was forgiving sins in the present. And did he die for you? And for me, yes. So he was dying for someone in the future. Hadn't even been conceived of yet. Wasn't even a thought on the national census. But he still died for those future sins. So Jesus will take care of your past, present, and future sins if you allow him to. And doing so will bring revival to your life, your community, and this nation. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for loving me so much that you gave Jesus for me. And Jesus, I accept your sacrifice as of my own. And I ask you right now to become Lord over my life. I invite you to come into my heart and create in me that new man that loves God. Use me, Lord Jesus. Bend me, God, to do your will. That revival will come to my life, my community, and this nation. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. If you prayed that prayer, email me at Brother Bob and let me know. Amen. We so desire to hear from you. Read 2 Chronicles 7.14 in light of that. Till next time, it's Pastor Bob Tibble remind you, be blessed in all that you do. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.